Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I've been getting pretty excited about the kind of guests that I'm bringing on here. I feel like I'm bringing on a good variety, uh, people who are strength coaches, personal trainers, online trainers, and then folks in the business world. So I hope that's been good for you. Uh, before I introduce this week's guest, I just want to mention the online payments portal. This is our newest feature. We've even added more capability to it. For example, if you wanna put a program up for sale and say that anyone who signs up for it has to start on a Monday, we can do that now, keeping people on this clean schedule. Um, so little things like that we're putting out there. The online payment portal is basically our way of letting coaches leverage their expertise and train people online with very little effort logistically so they can focus on coaching online clients and let us take care of the rest as far as marketing your programs, uh, transacting with customers, uh, putting money in your bank account. That's the kind of stuff that online payments portal does. This week's guest is Vanessa Severiano. Very important to say her name correctly. She complains sometimes that people don't always say it right. Um, Vanessa is great. She is someone that I met through Active Life. Um, Active Life is fantastic. Vanessa is very unique in that she has a background in fitness and business that's kind of equal. She started out doing both when she got her first job out of college at Crunch Fitness. Some of the brands that she's worked with are some of the top brands in general fitness, uh, but including some of the best brands in, you know, what I would consider like the more sophisticated education companies like Active Life. Um, so I had a great time talking with her. We talked about food. That's very easy for me to do. I got hungry after the podcast. Vanessa told me she got hungry as well. Talked a little bit about travel, uh, but these are kind of the things that you know become uh, more fun to talk about when you have a good handle on your business, um, like Vanessa does. I mean, she knows her brand, she knows how she fits in, she knows how she can impact organizations. So for any personal trainer, any strength coach, anyone in the fitness industry who feels like they need to basically um, you know, improve on their business skills. This is why I chose Vanessa for this specific podcast. Um, I hope you enjoy it and I want to hear your feedback. Hey, Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, Hewitt. For everyone listening, can you tell, tell them where you're doing the podcast from? Where's your home base? Sure. I'm based out of Miami. I'm originally from New York, but I've been in Miami for almost 16 years. Okay, so you're like an East Coaster top to bottom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, wanted to start with this particular question. I don't know why when I was drawing the script, I was like, um, let's just ask this. Are you taking any new clients at the moment? Um, yeah, I, I, I never say yes and no to anything, really. I mean, I think like just in life, we have to always remain open if it was the right opportunity. Yes. One thing that I've learned just over time is not to say yes to every opportunity. So if it makes sense for both parties, then yes, absolutely. You've obviously been in your business a long time. Your website says 19 years, but the way I'm sure you're like waiting for 20 years so you can just go in ahead and say 20 plus, right? <laughs> Two decades, really feeling Two antique decades. over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just means you've been doing it a long time. Um, at what point did you get to where, you know, you had a full book of clients? And I guess I was going to ask you, do you consider that a milestone for someone like yourself, an individual who's enterprising to be full on clients? 
No, not really. I mean, I just look at milestones differently. I mean, I'm 41 now. I've been doing this for a long time, uh, almost 20 years, like we just said. And I think that you know, my goals have changed over time, right? So there was a period of time where I was really looking to make a certain amount of income, right? So I thought success looks like making this amount or having this amount of clients, but the definition of success has changed over time. So it's not necessarily the amount of clients or the amount of money that I'm making, but more the amount of impact that I'm having on other businesses and other individuals and my sense of fulfillment. So it's changed over time. What What is fulfillment more about like work-life balance for you and how much time you're devoting to clients? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a comp. So it's a combination of things, right? So it's definitely work life balance. I have two teenage sons and I've been in the fitness industry for so many years. And this can kind of be a little bit of a burnout business where you're just on call, on demand 24 seven for clients, for colleagues, and, and whatnot. But more so working for with missions that I really align with. So brands that really have purpose. And um, that's really important to me as, you know, time has passed. It's not just about having another job or another client. It's about, you know, being on a mission that really jives with who I am and what I'm about. Yeah. I saw on your website that um, you help clients specifically get out of this mode where they're essentially trading time for money. Um, I kind of have some experience with that. I did some freelance marketing as I was building my business to help support myself. And I came to a point where I realized I only have so many hours in the day. I can either try to raise my rates or I could find ways to become more efficient. And I didn't really get far enough in my freelancing career to kind of become an expert at it, but I would assume you are. So, you know, would you say that... Would you recommend resorting to raising rates first or finding ways to be more efficient and scale yourself as a worker first in order to kind of not be the one trading your time for money, as you say? I think step one is increasing value. So whoever you're working with, whoever you're connecting with, provide them with more value than what they're paying for. I think when you increase your perceived value, then the money and the fulfillment and all of those things, they just fall into place. A lot of people think it it, it ties directly into money, but value might be, you know, having a greater impact. So how are you able to assist these people or these clients in ways that they otherwise couldn't achieve without working with you? Mm-hmm. And delivering more value to clients, you, you know, there's still the threat of sapping more of your time. If you just spend a few more hours this week working on this client, you could probably deliver more. Did you, how did you come across ways to efficiently deliver more value? Or did you learn skills like on your own? Did you self-teach or did you learn from other people who, that you worked under? How did you kind of learn to be more efficient with your time? I mean, it's definitely a combination of things. We should always be a student. So whether that's you're studying books, reading books, consuming podcasts, I'm always looking to optimize. And 
I do all of those things. I I don't think I'm ever going to reach a pinnacle where I'm like, okay, now I have it all figured out. That's something I tell my kids all the time. Listen, I'm 41 and I don't have it all figured out. One of my oldest sons is going, you know, through high school right now. And he's like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm like, you don't need to figure it out. We're all a work in progress. And then another thing is I have been very fortunate to work with a variety of amazing mentors. And I still invest in mentors today just because perspective is everything. So getting that perspective from others is so important. It just, I love bouncing ideas off of other people. So I only see things based on my perspective. I only have my ideas based on my experience and my education, but getting ideas from others sometimes helps me brainstorm and see things in a different light. And when I say increased value, I think also some people have that mindset, whether you're a trainer, a coach, a consultant or what, it's like, I want to kind of like guard my secrets to my chest, right? I want to give you a little bit of information, but I think so many people are caught up in like, I want this person to work with me forever. So I'm just going to kind of like trickle out information. I'm, I'm going to kind of like hold it close to my chest. I don't see it that way. I just see like one thing that I do on social media is I'm always giving out, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, free tips or information because one, if you have knowledge and you have information that could help somebody else, why wouldn't you share that? Like we all, none of us are the originators of information. I learned something from other people and I'm going to pass it on. I don't own that information and so on. And I just think it's kind of like being in the flow when you're in that flow, not to sound totally woo woo, but when you're in that flow, it's like easy come easy go. As you give out information, more is coming to you and whatnot. And when you block that flow, you know, that's when you get into, into trouble. I've never been in a situation where I've had to like really search for clients. Like everything that I've ever had has just come to me through a referral. And I think it's because I've just never blocked that flow. That's a long answer to your question. Sorry about that. (laughs) No, it's okay. And look, I I don't think it is woo woo. I mean, people use the word karma. I don't necessarily use the word karma, but you kind of insert yourself into this cycle where if you do give, you will receive. Um, People subconsciously or consciously understand that if you're giving value, they kind of owe you some value back. Um, And sometimes that turns into introductions to other people. And it's a good cycle to be in. I kind of noticed that I was working for two startups, you know, one after the other. And then at some point I went off and did my own thing and I was essentially working solo. And I learned so much stuff at my jobs at these startups because I was surrounded by sales teams and marketing teams and everyone was kind of learning and innovating. And I was absorbing that. And then as soon as I placed myself in like this solo position, I kind of lost that as a resource. And um, I kind of learned the power of a network, a personal network at that point, because I had this great network just by coming into the office five days a week, and then I didn't have it any longer. That's a long way of going into the next question, which is I want to talk about referral networks. Uh, I haven't not really myself found a successful referral network for my business, even though I I do get a lot of customers through referrals. Um, It just kind of happens organically via word of mouth. I was wondering kind of selfishly, could you share like some successful referral networks that you've built and some incentivizations or or incentives, I guess, that you uh, have put in place to help customers refer other customers to a brand or a, a client that you've worked with? Yes. Yeah, so referrals are so important. And like you mentioned, it, it it is like an organic lead source. But I think before you can even think about 
referrals, you need to think about relationships, right? That's step one. Everybody's like, oh, how can I get referrals? First, you have to build relationships. And I think when we talked about earlier, like being in the flow, it's not that you're you're creating value for others through relationships, but not necessarily because you're looking to get something, right? So it's just like, why not? Like I have a podcast too, you are a guest on it. And I've connected some of my podcast guests together, not because I'm looking for some type of monetary compensation on it, but I'm like, hey, you need to meet so-and-so because you guys could work together and this could be something good, right? So I think one, it's establishing relationships. Relationships are just about being a great communicator and providing value to others. And then for referrals, yes, there's always a good, you know, incentives are always great for clients. I think one great source of referrals is strategic partnerships. So strategic partnerships means like working with like-minded brands that are non-competing and working together in a way that you're kind of talking to the same client, but you can can share clients. And so I think that's a great referral source. Another, you know, just direct to consumer referral is you have to understand what the consumer is looking for, right? You have to meet people where they're at. So figure out what would your clients want, you know, if they were to refer somebody to you and then incentivize them that way. Strategic partnership. Tips to be tricky because sometimes small companies really, really want to partner with big companies and big companies are kind of like, eh, you know, we're kind of the big fish. Um, have you had experiences um, with clients where you scored a great partnership for them? And like, what's the key to appealing to a larger partner uh, as a smaller brand? Yes, I'm actually in the process of of doing that um, right now with one of my clients and, and I have in the past um worked with a a small gym chain that ended up having a great partnership with a a larger hotel brand. So I think the the key to that, whenever you're establishing a strategic partnership, you should always lead with value of what you're going to provide to the partner. So instead of saying like, hey, how could you guys help us? We'd like to work together, blah, blah, blah. You lead with, hey, you have a great brand. You're so credible in the marketplace. We love what you're doing because of X, Y, Z reasons. People love compliments. Yes, even corporations. <laughs> um, and, and at the end of the day, getting into a big corporation is just about connecting with somebody else and creating a relationship with somebody else anyway. It's just all about getting to that gatekeeper and creating that relationship so that you can get to a yes. So, oh, and a, a, just a random little tangent on that. Never take a no from somebody who couldn't give you a yes. So ask, 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 and ask the Uh, right person. Do not ask somebody that is not the gatekeeper who could really give you the answer and then lead with the value. So this is how we could support your brand. This is what we're going to do to spread the word about your brand to our clientele. This is how we can promote you and then see, you know, kind of put those feelers out there, see take a temperature gauge on that person and what their thoughts are lead with that. Once they say, Oh, I like the thought of that. Then you say, Oh, great. How could your organization support this partnership? Never lead with, Hey, how can you help us? That's an automatic turnoff that makes somebody put up their walls. People get pitched like a million times a day. I look at LinkedIn. I have 1 million messages of people looking for me to help them, but what are they doing to help me? Right. And it's, and Mm -hmm. that's how people have to lead. And that's just 
sales and relationship 101. <laughs> so like for this large hotel chain, you, you come in there and say, look, your workout room sucks. No one's using the Kegel machine. You got to get some new fitness uh, concepts in here. Now, I know you don't word it that, like that, but you probably look for gaps to fill when it comes to a larger partner. Yeah. And, and, and it could literally be as basic as, you know, having a gatekeeper come in and see what you offer, you know? So for example, it could be, you know, with team builders, just to put it into context, it could be giving somebody a free trial or getting them exposure to team builder, getting them to understand the ins and outs, providing them with value to see, Hey, this is how we work. I think this is how we could support your organization. You know, let's talk further instead of just saying, you know, putting together some crazy proposal, that's just going to turn some somebody off. Lead very softly, take temperatures. It's about little steps, collecting little yeses to get to the big yes. Yeah. I'm thinking about like some partnerships I've tried to form in the past, specifically with equipment companies. I don't know why, but they're like, especially a pain to deal with. And uh, you mentioned find the real gatekeeper. That's been a struggle because sometimes we get in these big email chains and these big Zoom calls. And I'm like, who the hell's in charge here? You know, who, I just want to talk to the one person who's making the decision and really get to the point. So identifying the gatekeeper, gatekeeper probably overlooked. I'm sure some people just feel lucky to be talking to someone when really they should be thinking about who is the person I should be talking to at the, uh, at the company. And that's kind of where networks come in too because if you know someone who has a great network, they can just connect you right away to the most important person at the company you're trying to partner with. I'm sure over time you've built a network like that as well. Right. And it's all about relationships. As you build your network, maybe you don't know somebody, but somebody in your network can direct you to the right person. But if I was you and I was trying to get into a, a company of working with a fitness brand um, equipment company, first, I would find somebody that I could interview on the podcast and create a personal connection with them over the podcast, warm up the conversation, and then follow up and say, you know, I think there could be some some synergies here. How can we work together? Would you be the right person or can you connect me to somebody in your organization? Once you've already warmed up that conversation on a personal level, it's a lot easier to get information as opposed to a cold call. And that's what it's all about. Just relationships and connection. Yeah. So if you're sitting down hypothetically with one of your clients, right, say Reebok, and they're like, um, hey, Vanessa, tell us how to get more referrals for you know so-and-so project. And you say, well, first, you got to build relationships. Do you look the CEO in the eye and say, it's the CEO's job to build these relationships? like, Or do you charge everyone in the company to be you know, about building relationships? Well, I think it's kind of like an all hands on deck, but I would definitely look the CEO in the eye and the CEO, the leadership sets the tone for the business, right? So when there's buy-in from leadership from C-suite, then there's buy-in from everybody else. So it's a lot easier just to you know, say a command, like do this. But when you're actually walking the walk and you're saying, Hey, build these relationships. Here's an example of how we've built this relationship with CrossFit. And it's been really fruitful for us. And I'm looking to everybody on this leadership team to bring in a couple partnerships that would make a lot of sense for Reebok. So let's work together to make it happen. It's very different from saying, Hey, start creating relationships, right? It's a different mm -hmm. message. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask about working with startups versus like more established companies. 
because uh, your your book of clients kind of spans the spectrum. Do you have a preference? Do you like working with startups? Do you like working with uh, more established brands? What What do you like doing personally? Well, honestly, everything in life has its trade-off, right? So corporations are very structured and structure can be really great, but it can also be very limiting, right? You need to fill out a form to get approval to purchase a pencil, right? (laughs) Uh, But that being said, there's also a lot of support. There's a lot of team members. So it's not like a one person, you know, department, whereas working with a startup, sometimes it's, you know, the advantages of working with startups is there's a lot of flexibility. You can get a lot of autonomy. There's a lot of answers that happen quickly. However, it oftentimes is less people wearing many hats. So it can be kind of difficult to to move the needle forward with a startup if they don't have a large enough team. But that being said, there's so much that can be outsourced nowadays that, um, you know, I, I really think it depends on what the project is. But I, I love working for corporations that have established brands. I love working with startups that are kind of trying to find their place. It depends on, you know, what the scope of work is. Yeah. Startups can really span the spectrum. You, you see really well-run startups the, the founder is really on top of it holds people accountable and then you see the opposite where some startups are just like and they use the excuse right well we're kind of a startup um so it really kind of starts with the with the founder i um i do generally like working with startups because they're less less cooks in the kitchen i find um, but at the same time you could find a corporation with a lot of people who are super organized and very strategic on how they take on projects um, and to your point about outsourcing um, it hasn't been easier than it is today. You're totally right. And do you outsource for your business? I'm, I assume you do. Yes, I have three virtual assistants, but, um, you know, I mean, there's like anything, like we just said, there's a trade-off to everything, you know, right now in this COVID environment, it's nice to be able to have that flexibility where you're working with people in a variety of different places and thank goodness for Zoom and all of this technology. But, you know, I, there it's different, you know, when you're meeting around a table with a group of colleagues, you know, there's something, an energy exchange, looking somebody in the eye, feeling their vibe, reading their body language. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to do in person than it is over zoom. Did you travel a lot for business pre COVID? No, no, I'm not no. a traveler. I have, you know, my, honestly, my kids, you know, I've, oh, my priority is being available to my children. I, my career is how I kind of fill my cup. It's something that I love doing. Um, but, you know, to me, it's non-negotiable being available to my children. It's just, there's no, you know, there's no negotiating that time with them. Yeah. They're, well, they're look travel, I think travel is exciting when you're young and hungry. You know, I took 32 flights, I think, one year for business. Um, and I thought it was really cool to to run a business and travel a lot. And then after that year, I was probably the unhealthiest I'd ever been in my life. And I figured out that this is not the way to go. You know, in person is great, but you got to pick and choose your battles on that front. So you probably had to figure it out before I did. <laughs> 
Well, and when you talk about efficiency as well, you think about like how long did it take you to get to the airport to prepare for this trip, the travel to and from the hotel, you know, and all of that for maybe, you know, a few hours worth of meetings when efficiently you could have done that in a different way and been able to accomplish a lot more. So when we talk about efficiency, you know, I think travel can be a little challenging in that regard, but obviously for some businesses and in some capacities, it's a necessity. And, you know, as my children start to fly the coop, I'm more open to, you know, now that they're teenagers and they had their own life, I'm more open to, to things like travel. But for many years, you know, my kids were little, they were involved in theater and all of that. And it was important to me to be there. Yeah. Well, speaking of travel, um, you like to go to Portugal. I read that. Um, you like cooking. So I can only assume that you go to Portugal to eat a lot of seafood. Are you a seafood fan? Um, I'm a huge food fan. <laughs> I love all food, but yes, seafood. My parents are, are Portuguese. They're from Portugal. So I grew up going there every summer and it's now something that I share with my children. And I just love the culture and the environment. It's very, I kind of say it's like the anti-Miami. It's not pretentious. It's very relaxing. They, you know, when I'm there, I'm just like pretty much barefoot on the beach tra or traveling around very low key and just enjoying myself. And I think it's really important for many years. I wore like not going on vacations as like a badge of honor of like, I work so hard. This is how hard I work. Like I'm one of the guys, like I'm so tough. And it was really dumb. <laughs> Honestly, I think when I take that time to separate myself and create those boundaries and go on vacation and recharge my batteries, I'm a lot more creative. I'm a lot more valuable to others when I take that time for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fun fact, our European sales rep here at Team Builder is also based in Portugal. We haven't uh, arranged a corporate retreat to Portugal, but I think that's on uh, that's on the map. I'll be your guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, cooking, I could say in my household, cooking is a big deal. We love food as well. So a um, couple of questions, uh, butter or olive oil? Olive oil all day. Is that even a question? Come on. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'm an olive. I love olive oil too. But um, red or white wine? Red. Yeah. Red just gives a little bit of warmth that you just don't get with the white wine sometimes. I mean, I love all wine if I'm being honest, but there is a Portuguese wine called Vinho Verde that's very light and it's like a very, you know, living in Miami, it's very like hot. So that is a very light and crisp wine, but uh, red wine is just, you know, my Portuguese roots. Yeah. Yeah. And um, favorite season for cooking? It's always summer in Miami. You mean seasoning on food? <laughs> oh, no, I meant like, you know, the season. For instance, I love the winter because I just love like a hot bowl of ramen. I think you can't beat it. Like a hot meal in the winter with a red wine is just like pretty unbeatable. But for you, yes, you're in Miami. So I guess it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, it's always summer. I mean, I, I love you know, I love cooking soups, even though it's hot here. I love eating soup. It, there's something very comforting about it. I don't know. I ate a lot of soup as a kid. So maybe it's like something that kind of reminds me of my childhood, but just being in health and fitness for so many years too, and raising my family, I think, you know, food is so important, not only 
because of, yes, you're creating that time where you're sitting around with your family, you're eating a meal, you're talking, and it's kind of like an experience, but, and it connects us, but also because there's so much garbage in food right now and just preparing, there's something very like, I don't know, primal about preparing a meal, putting all that love into it and then enjoying it. And there's so many great experiments that I can conduct in the kitchen. Sometimes I try things and my kids are like, oh, that's disgusting. Um, Thank God my husband eats everything. But yeah, (laughs) I I don't know. I just really enjoy cooking. Yeah, that's good. And look, I don't want to turn this into like a this country versus that country thing. But anyone who's traveled to Europe or is familiar with Europe knows that they value um, whole foods a little bit more than, than the U.S. Processed food is like a very American thing. And um, the ability to cook for yourself is a great way to take yourself out of the cycle where you're always trying to decipher, you know, what's a processed food, where's, where's my food coming from, how is it prepared, that I think is really easy to fall into, uh, you know, here in the States. I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I definitely agree. And I think like something that I've also been guilty of is like not actually sitting down and enjoying my meal, Mm -hmm. but like scarfing food down in between meetings, standing up when I'm eating, looking at my phone and checking emails when I'm eating instead of being present and like enjoying what I'm doing and being mindful of what I'm eating and being grateful for that moment. I have been guilty. And that's one thing that I definitely have learned from my European roots and, and just traveling is, you know, take time to pay attention to what you're doing. Enjoy that moment, have that separation. Like we just talked about with taking vacation, like create that boundary, like, Hey, it's okay to carve out 20 minutes to eat your meal without being available for a phone call or replying to a text message or an email. Yeah. I sometimes refer to my marriage as like a two person dinner club because the best quality of time that we have is oftentimes sharing a meal together. You know, a date night is about quality of time over a meal, but it takes a conscious effort. You know, like you said, it's so easy to, to sit down and just eat a meal in front of a TV after a long day at work. That's the easy way, you know, having a meal and conversing with your partner with someone else. That's, that's really the quality of time. Yeah. And I read this book, I think it was a year or two ago called Indistractable. And it's really about carving out that space, like not being so beholden. Like right now it's like you're a slave to your phone, right? It's pinging and Mm. dinging and you're getting a zillion notifications on your computer at all times. And it's like very hard. The Apple watch. Yeah. It's like an extension. Yeah. That's exactly why I didn't get it. Cause I'm like, no, I don't need to be available 24 seven to everybody. And just because some, you know, app is pushing a sale, like doesn't mean it should interrupt my dinner or whatever. So I think, you know, reading that book and just practicing, like creating those boundaries and stopping the technology. We don't allow any technology TV or, or phones or anything at the dinner table. Um, and, and just taking that moment together to connect with others. Cause it's so funny. It's like, we're more connected. We're to anybody nowadays than ever before through technology, but we're more disconnected from relationships. And when I talked about, you know, just to put it into context in business, you know, when I talk about relationships, it's like people want to be seen and heard, whether that's your spouse, your, you know, your friends or whatever, people are so ignored. Like when you go to a restaurant and you look around, how many people are actually not looking at the people that they're sitting at the table with, but they're looking at their phones, right? So nowadays it's actually, easy when you create that 
relationship. And when you give somebody your time, attention and attention, it's easy to get them to say yes to something in business or to, you know, like create that connection because people are starving for connection. Yeah, it's true. And look, at risk of sounding really pessimistic, you can keep up with people without talking to them. If you just sift through their stories, look at their Facebook posts, and it's almost to the point where if you were to call someone up just to catch up, that would almost be weird. At least it is with like my age group, uh, which is like late 20s. It's almost like you keep up with someone passively. And then if you happen to see them, you kind of know what they've been up to because you've been viewing, you know, what they've been posting. But conversation, just calling someone up to talk. I mean, you should be able to do that with way more than just four or five people. I, I bet my parents could easily have done that with dozens of people. It's a different kind of dynamic now in terms of staying in touch with people. Yeah, it's definitely different. And I think, you know, even in sales, like working with sales in, 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 uh, organizations, a lot of the people think like, Oh, but people don't answer the phone. I'd rather text them or let's set up some fancy drip campaign. It's like, no, just connect with somebody <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yes, those are, those are tools. Like technology is a tool and you should use it, um, in business and in, and in life. Yes. But you know, that's not in place of, the connection that you can create with somebody else. You know, I mean, when somebody and Hewitt, you're, you're right. Like that, not that many people call you on the phone now. And so it's like, anybody can send a text, but when I get a phone call from a friend that I haven't heard about, you know, heard from in a while, I'm like, Oh, that's nice. Like, let me hear what that person's up to, you know? Um, otherwise it's like, you're kind of like stalking people on the internet and it's like, what's the fun of that? What about real life? <laughs> What about real life? Um, so you've got some sales background, which is really cool. Um, I'm in charge of training and you know motivating my sales team here at Team Builder. The best salesperson I know is not even the sales guy. He's one of my best friends from a company I worked with, but he always calls. He's so good about calling. And it's kind of a lifestyle for him. If he has like a subway ride or a car ride or some downtime, he's mostly calling just a variety of people. And he'll call me out of the blue just to talk about, you know, something for five minutes. And I think that's such a good skill to have is do you have the ability to just reach out to someone organically and just connect with them and tell them about something that's interesting to you and ask them how it's going for them. And uh, the phone call, sometimes here at our office, we say a phone call is worth a thousand emails. If you're trying to get something done, if you're really trying to build a relationship, you can send all the emails you want, but don't forget about the phone call. That might be the most powerful weapon in your toolbox. I mean, I've got to agree with that. You know, I've been training sales teams for so many years and a lot of people think like, oh, what's this technique? Teach me this closing technique and whatnot. And yeah, there's techniques, but really being great at sales is just being a great communicator, just being able to talk to a variety of people. And it's kind of like, you know, I can train somebody, but I've got to tell you, it's kind of like you have it or you don't, right? Like you're yeah. either skilled at connecting with others and you are a people person. And you're, I think it, it comes from having a natural curiosity about others, wanting to learn about others and asking them questions instead of doing all the talking yourself. A lot of people think like, oh, salespeople, they're, you know, you think of like a used car salesman on, on TV, yeah. whatnot. A door-to-door -door salesman. Yeah. And salespeople are the best listeners. They ask great 
questions to get the other person talking, right? Um, That's what makes a great salesperson. And I think a lot of coaches and just a lot of people in the fitness industry have this hang up about sales because they think it's about getting something from somebody else. It's Mm -hmm. not. Sales is about giving. You're giving a solution to a problem that the other person has. And money is just an exchange of value. So I think a lot of people look at money, especially in the fitness business. It's like, oh, I got in this business to help people. You know, I'm not in it for the money. I hear people say, it's like, well, you know, um, that's nice, but how are you going to pay your rent? How are you going to pay for your car? You know, I, it's not about being some gross wheeler dealer, like sleazy, like, Oh, I'll give it to you for 39 99 type of thing. It's more about just like, Hey, you have a problem. I have a solution. Let me tell you how my solution is going to help you alleviate your problem. And then, getting the money, getting the sale, quote unquote, at the end is just like a formality. Yeah, it truly is. I think one thing that I appreciate about my business that just happened by accident was that everyone kind of pays the same price, whether it's the Golden State Warriors or a rural high school from Wisconsin, they're kind of paying the same subscription. It allows us to treat everyone with the same level of kind of respect and attention. And I think that's been good for our company culture. Again, kind of by accident. Um, so fitness versus business, like what did you get into first? Were you first like a fitness person or a business person or did it kind of just all happen at the same time for you? Um, totally randomly. So I graduated college. I thought, you know, I thought I was, I always thought I was going to be an attorney. Um, I have, two oh, wow. where, where did you, where did you go to college? I went to SUNY Geneseo in upstate New York. Um, cool. it's a state school. And, you know, they, they call it the Harvard of the Sunnis. I'm like, okay, it's not Harvard, (laughs) but, um, I have a degree in English literature and then another in interpersonal and organizational communication. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be an, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then in college, I was just kind of like, okay, I want to take a break. Like I'm not ready to go to law school. I, it just kind of like lost its appeal to me. And when I graduated college, I was just kind of, you know, really interested in working for a brand that looked like fun. My worst nightmare was and still is sitting in a cubicle looking at a computer screen. That's what being an attorney is, the you dodge the bullet. (laughs) So I was like, that's not for me. You know, I need to work for a company that stands for something, is a cool brand, looks like fun. It's work. You know, I'm, I love working hard and anybody that's ever worked with me would definitely say that my work ethic is, is up there, but it has to be fun. You spend so much time at work nowadays. It's a part of your life. You have to enjoy yourself. So I just applied for a bunch of brands that looked like, you know, fun to work for. And I got my first job out of college working at the crunch corporate office. So this was, yeah, this was in 2001, right? So we had a corporate office where all offices were completely glass. So it was a completely open floor plan. There was a punching bag in the middle of the office. The conference room had a clear garage door. The The mascot was a bunny. The whole drag queens taught group fitness classes. The whole concept was to make fitness fun. 
And that was an amazing, I was there for almost four years. And that was my first, the person that hired me um, out of college, Adam Hirsch and our chief, chief operating officer, Roger Harvey are people that I still keep in touch with. They were amazing mentors to me. I still keep in touch with many of the people that I used to work with there. Um, it was a very an, an important skill, by the way, it's very easy to move on to your next gig and forget about the people who you worked with, but those folks will always come in handy later. And especially in fitness, right? Hewitt, it's such yeah. a small world. You never know. I've worked with some people from in multiple brands. Um, so you never burn a bridge. Right. Never. And, and that was just a really great learning experience. And that's how I got started in fitness. And it was just one opportunity led to another. So I never set out as like, you know, I mean, I played sports as a kid. I sucked at sports, but I played soccer and lacrosse. Um, and, and I never set out as like, oh, I'm going to start a career in fitness, but it's just one thing led to another. And that's how, you know, almost 20 years later, here we are. Yeah. So if you get your first job with crunch fitness in the office, the corporate office, then you, you kind of had a solid foundation and fitness and business kind of together from the get-go. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. We, you know, we had 10 clubs in New York city at the time, and we had a lot of, you know, in the club experience, people coming into the office and, and it, it, it there was a lot of exposure and, and it was definitely a kind of learn as you go type of setting, but that's how I like to learn. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm going to end the podcast on this topic, and this is like the future of fitness, right? Everyone wants to talk about the future of fitness. Um, and I, I definitely want to get your thoughts, but I'll, I'll go first because like I have this idea that I'm just like obsessed about. I can't stop thinking about it. And I thought about like during the lockdowns, everyone was creating these home gym environments. And I thought about a gym and I'm like, what's a gym at the end of the day on a technical business level? And it's people renting equipment from the gym owner and then getting the coaching and the programming with it, you know, but they have to show up to the gym to do that. So I'm thinking about home gyms. I'm like, there's no chance a home gym for most people will ever be as versatile as the gym that they paid a membership for. You know, why don't uh, people rent equipment from the gym owner to put in their home and then cycle it out just like we did with the Netflix DVDs or anything else that you get on a recurring basis? So I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about the home gym as not necessarily people buying things and owning them, but maybe renting things or subscribing to services that can cycle more versatile equipment for them and then also get the programming and the coaching in their home environment. So that's just an idea. I just think about that sometimes. That's what I think is potentially part of the future of fitness. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, like you're probably more involved in you know this conversation than I am. What are some things that you see that are going to be very material to the fitness space going forward, considering the events of this year? Well, I think that now more than ever, this is like a huge topic that I love talking about. So thanks for bringing this up. I think, you know, consumers expectations have shifted, right? So there's this whole conversation happening that brick and mortar is dying and digital is here to stay and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, I think that it's a combination thereof, right? So we have to meet people where they're at. So I think that now people are expecting brick and mortar to have this digital offering as well so that the, you know, the offering is extended based on convenience, right? If I want to work out at home, I can, I have a, I can live stream a class or I can log onto the app and get this program. Or if I wanted to attend a group fitness class in person or go and strength training at the gym in person, I can. Um, I think that 
trainers, it's all about increasing value, right? So to retain a client right now, because the fitness space is so flooded and people have so many options, you really have to provide value, but then also provide connection, right? So people pay for accountability. So like if I was a trainer or a coach, I'd really be working on how can I increase my value to hold people accountable? And I think a lot of coaches and gym owners right now are really intimidated by technology because they think they're being edged out by digital. Instead, I would challenge gym owners and coaches to say, how can you use digital? How can you use technology to improve your value? So if, you know, I would look to integrate that into my training or into my offerings in addition to live streaming and whatnot. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of opportunity right now. The opportunities are different than they were a couple of years ago, but fitness is exploding. When you look at Apple investing into Apple Fitness, which is going to be long soon. When you look at the m- amount of VC funding going into the digital space, it's bananas. So I would just, you know, if I was an individual coach or a business owner right now that was struggling, I would just challenge myself to set, have a mindset shift and say, okay, what I'm doing right now is not working. How can I shift my thinking to meet consumer demand and create new opportunities for myself. And that's what I'm doing in my business. And that's what I encourage others to do. You know, the, the old way that we did things, you know, is evolving and that's just, yes, COVID accelerated that, but that was happening anyway. So I do think, you know, the future of fitness, people love to throw that term around, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we are the future of fitness. You're the future of fitness. What is the future of fitness? I mean, the future is tomorrow. The future is the next day. We're always going to be chasing the future. So I, instead of being so caught up in that, it's like, get caught up in how can you provide more value to consumers? And I think another thing just to end my rant here that we really need to focus on is not everybody wants six pack abs. You know, I've been in fitness for so long and I've been selling people this idea of like this hit training and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Most people hate freaking going to the gym. They hate it. To me, it's like uh, working out is my therapy. It's like I work out, then I meditate and that's how I start my day. Like if I don't do it, my husband's like, please go work out. Like you're making me crazy. Right. But most people, the average person hates working out. Why do they hate working out? Because it's looked at as a chore because it's looked at if you're somebody that's sedentary, that sits in an office or sits in a chair or on your couch, you know, 23 hours a day going to take a hit class is like, it's like night and day. We need to meet consumers where they are. So it might just be getting some more steps. It might just be getting them to go up the stairs without experiencing pain. We have been selling this concept to people that they have to have these six pack abs. They have to get shredded. They have to get super lean. And that doesn't resonate with most consumers, especially in the U.S. So we have to change our messaging and we have to get more people moving to improve health, but not in the way that we think, you know, not about like doing Ollie lifts or whatever they're called, you know, (laughs) like it's about just moving and being healthier. And I think that is really the future of fitness. Yeah. Look, as my good friend says, if you're a trainer or you're a coach and you love working out and you write your own programs, you're the weirdo. You know, you're the outlier. And if you take that mindset and you bring your clients in and try to invite them into that mindset, you're really not meeting them in the middle. Like you said, you're you're leaving a big gap there. 
Um, and I, I think that's a really good thing about how things are changing is we're talking about things like movement and we're using the term health as opposed to fitness and about, and putting an emphasis on how people feel from like an energy and mood perspective as opposed to how people look from a physical perspective. It's a good trend. I'm really glad it's happening. Um, so that's good. That's a really good discussion. Folks who listen to this, um, uh, if they want to know more about you, you have your website. That's VanessaSeveriano.com. Is that right? I am so impressed that you pronounced my last name right. It must be because oh. you have that Portuguese sales staff outsource. I'm a culture man. I'm a citizen of the world. Uh, I meet many folks with many different names, and it's important to get their name right. I, I was reading that in a book recently. If you want to connect with someone, try getting their name right. That'll go a long way for them. It's so true. I always ask people before, I'm like, did I get this right? Because I can't stand it when people destroy my last name. So I don't want to do that to others, but thanks for getting it right. Yes. My my website is vanessasveriano.com. Um, on LinkedIn and on Instagram, you can look me up and connect with me there. And then I have my podcast. You can check out my episode with Hewitt. It's called The Business Side of Fitness. And I'll just give a shout out to your podcast. You do a great job organizing it. Um, it's very prepared and it doesn't uh, let it doesn't make for people who rant and ramble or whatever. It's very concise. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy listening to it. So everyone here, everyone who recommends your podcast, I'm going to stop and say, actually listen to this one. It's a professional podcast. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. No problem. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.